0: Welcome to Foundation and Family, the Erica Diaz show where real estate wisdom meets family life. I'm Erica Diaz, here to share stories, insights and inspiration for building homes and nurturing hearts. Let's dive in together. Hey everybody, I'm Erica with Foundation and Family and today we have the opportunity to interview Ross MacArthur. He's a local investor and a national investor. Yeah. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to see how he got started to build that foundation for your family. So, Ross, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so uh, I always say I'm a Midwest kid, so born and raised in Michigan, like a lot of people here. I'm transplanted to Florida, so okay. been here for about 12 years. But I have to
0: ask you really quick, do you know what an Uber light is? I do not. Oh, it's some kind of like light up rock that they have in Michigan, oh, and really? my third kid is dying, so sorry, sidebar, but... Super exciting for Michigan, apparently. (laughs) Okay, back to you.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great place besides winter. So so I grew up there, uh, born and raised, went to school there. And like most people, I didn't know why I wanted to do when I grew up. So I decided to go into sales and moved all over the country. But throughout this process, I kind of had this burning itch of entrepreneurship and eventually real estate. So what's great about sales, as you know, is you drive a lot. Yeah. And so podcasts like this and other, you know, entertainment books or audio books and things like that, you can learn a lot. So
0: it's
1: been about five years on the sidelines just learning. Okay. And, uh, you know, like most people, a little scared.
0: So before you got into real estate investing, you said you were in sales. Let's talk a little bit about like what you did and how that transition looked from coming out of what corporate america into being an entrepreneur so how did you start that process and where did that kind of change after the five years of like listening and learning?
1: Yeah. So I uh, started, I moved, uh, so it was really cool, worked for Michelin North America, big Fortune 500 company that most people have heard of, tires, right? Yeah. 22-year-old kid, never even knew how to put a tire on. So sure. sent me out west. I lived in Portland, Oregon for about three years and ran a five-state territory. And anybody who runs a geographical territory in sales, I feel like entrepreneurship kind of goes parallel. Like you have to manage a book of business. You have to really, you know, dictate your time and how to spend your energy and all these different things. You're doing
0: some marketing, you're doing business, people management. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Correct. So, so that kind of got me started and through that. I I ended up working for an entrepreneur and left that company in software sales. And that kind of got me out of still in automotive, but in the technology space. Okay. And so then I saw an entrepreneur literally build a business. You know, we started with five employees. We eventually had 80 and sold the business. You know, we started with, when I started was 10 customers. We had about 5,000 when we sold it. So then I went from kind of understanding how to run a business, you know, my own little territory to seeing somebody really, you know, build something and sell it, which is a whole new experience. Like I never had entrepreneurship or entrepreneur in my family at all, like nobody. And so for
0: me, I come from a line of entrepreneurs. So it it was almost ingrained in me that I was going to work for myself, which I grew up in an office very similar to this getting paid $5 a week, taking out the trash, making copies, doing stuff like that. So it's definitely been in my blood, but it's fun to hear that it wasn't in yours.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people ask, like, you know, who who do you lean on for? I (laughs) didn't. Like, you kind of saw the success. And so that was my first, that, that second job, you know, with an entrepreneur building a business. That was my first time really seeing a business built. How it right. run and from very early to all the way to execution and selling the company. Right. So that was pretty neat. And But when we sold that company, I wasn't quite ready to jump into entrepreneurship myself. Okay. So I went to a large, multi-billion dollar software company and was able to move to Florida. Oh. And uh, that's where corporate ladder climbing kind of went. So I, I ended up being a vice president of sales for that company. Okay. Uh, but about three and a half years ago, I decided, you know, I was watching people make a lot of money off of our efforts. Right right? So I'm working like a dog and I'm making great money. Don't get me wrong, but they're making really, really good money off of our efforts. And I was like, how can I do that and reap more of the benefit? I'm making other people rich. How do I make ourselves rich? My family rich and really set ourselves up for life.
0: So that's one of the things through our coaching system. And I talk about it often that we coach with Tom Ferry network. They push that as an entrepreneur, there's not always an exit because you don't have that 401k or you don't have that retirement plan or you don't have whatever the case may be that that corporate america is offering but they push like you're already making other people rich because you're getting investment opportunities coming across your desk and instead of actually jumping into it you pass it along so yeah. it's fun that you recognize that and you're like hey Now, how do I do it? But the hard thing that I think a lot of people struggle with is most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. How do I go buy an investment property for $400,000 when I've got four kids in school and everything else? How do I come up with that capital? How did you start that?
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll go one step back and then we'll lead into that. So we we started to figure out like it was time. It's time to, so after the learning process happened, which was years, if I'm being honest, that windshield time we talked about earlier. But eventually you come to a point where like, it's decision time. Like, are we gonna do this or are we not? Yep. And so in January 2022, or 2020, I should say, right as COVID's about ready to hit, like a lot of investors- Before
0: anybody even knew anything,
1: really. Yeah, and so things are starting to slow down. We're like, we're gonna jump into real estate. And we decided to be an out-of-state investor, so we invested in Indiana.
0: Why did you choose to go to Indiana versus Florida? Yep.
1: And a lot of people say, like, invest in your backyard. 100% agree, right? Okay. If you can, 100% agree. We love Central Florida, particularly. Like, it's a booming area. There's a lot of benefits to it. But I originally, I said I was from Michigan. So there's a certain right. comfort level with the Midwest. And one sure. of it, you said about cost. Like, I go spend 500 or $400,000 to buy investment property. Right. Well, the cost of entry is very different in the Midwest to here. Sure. So if you're going to get started in somewhere, and maybe fail. Right. You never know. Right. Uh, Why not start somewhere where it's a little bit easier? And so that was our take. Right. And our whole goal was to build up to Florida.
0: So the first investment property that you bought, was it residential? Was it commercial? What was it?
1: Yeah, so there's a million different types of assets sure. you can buy, right? So there's single family, vacation rentals, industrial, self-storage. I mean, we could spend hours just talking about right. all these categories. I've so, actually
0: got some cemetery plots if you want to buy those. Yeah, there Real, you go. True
1: story. Yeah, so another niche.
0: <laughs> yep, so, something like that.
1: Yeah, so we uh, so we decide small multifamily okay. after all the research. So what I consider small multifamily is like two doors to ten doors. Okay. two to 10 units. Okay. And so we ended up just scouring the MLS because we didn't know any better, right? right. And we found a four unit, maybe an hour, about an hour outside of Indianapolis.
0: And you can get an FHA loan on that.
1: Yeah. FHA, true We just did... We didn't even know what type of lender to use, which oh. we can talk about more later too. Yeah. But we just went like... It was like rocket mortgage or something like... Horrible, right? Sorry for anybody, but you know, rookie mistake, right? So twenty-five percent down, and but it, you know, we we talk about this with our friends a lot. There's always a conservative and an aggressive one in a relationship, right? And you have to define who's who. So oh, I know clearly, which one I am clearly I'm the aggressive one, yeah. And my wife is conservative, and so we talked about this and long before we made that offer, and we made it. Okay, and it was the scariest thing ever. Twenty-five percent down. That it's only. $180,000 house. So 25% is not crazy.
0: But you still have closing costs on top of that. Yeah. So 25% plus your closing costs. And reserves cost and, and reserves. all these things. Other and things. you do. And I think that is a big problem that we see in our marketplace is when people become accidental landlords and they don't have that reserve for that broken AC or maybe in the Midwest, that broken heater, because yeah. I, I imagine you need that as much uh, as you need yeah. the AC here.
1: And actually what's funny in the Midwest, things burn out more because they're not used for those months. Like it is here, like AC is always on here, right? So, but yes, absolutely reserves. Right. And so when we did that, I had to convince my Mm -hmm. wife, Kate, like, Hey, let's try one. And you asked how we came up with that money. Right. Well, fortunately enough, you know, we did have enough to do that one. Okay. So that was fine. But if we wanted to scale, that's where some of the other things came in. And so we did the one and I, I always say it went generally okay. We're buying like Chipotle once a month off of it. Right. We're not getting rich, but we're not failing.
0: But that's a huge thing I think to touch on is that you just said we're buying Chipotle once a month off of it. But you have to start somewhere and someone's paying for your investment. And I've said it a thousand times. You're paying a mortgage, whether you're paying your mortgage or whether you're paying his mortgage. So who do you want to pay? And while you're getting one Chipotle dinner a month right now, fast forward 15 years, then what do you get?
1: hundred percent. The house is paid off. Usually right. or a lot of it is paid off.
0: So huge difference. Yeah. Huge. You're getting, you're getting Chipotle every month, every, every night that yep.
1: month. And so that kind of takes us up to June, 2020. And so the first few months went pretty well. And I looked at my wife, I said, I want to double down on this. Okay. Like I'm ready. Like let's do it. And she's like, with what money? Like, like we have money, but like, I don't want to deplete all this, well, right? Like, sure. what are we going to do? And that's a big risk. And I said, one, let me go find the best deals I can find. So I uh, originally came from direct, essentially, to consumer marketing. That okay. was a lot of my background, software side. And so I figured out, like, hey, there's software systems, there's data. Let's go talk to these people directly and try to buy these investment properties without them being listed. Right. And let's try to buy them for 25 to 35 percent off what I think they're worth. Okay. And so we did, and we bought two. But how we got those is we used a HELOC loan at the time. So you
0: leveraged your personal residence which yes. is very scary in my opinion so how did you talk the conservative wife into leveraging your homestead
1: yeah so we were pretty conservative when we bought we bought right when we bought well uh let's see almost seven years ago now so okay. you know what Florida's done in the last few years so you had plenty
0: of plenty of equity and
1: we didn't take all of it okay. and we also were double paying our mortgage anyway we doubled okay. up our mortgage payment so we're pretty conservative low debt uh, across all which is funny that You'll find out that I love max debt real estate. Okay. Again, another topic for maybe later or another day. Uh, but so what we ended up doing is we pulled $150,000 off. Okay. And, and we went and bought those two properties cash.
0: You bought two duplexes for $150,000 in the Midwest, which Correct. is kind of unheard of in Central Florida. Yeah. So I guess I understand why investing somewhere else might be a good idea as you get the start going. Correct. Okay. So tell me about those two duplexes. Yeah.
1: So they're, you know, relatively stable. They're, you know, real estate, especially investment properties, are kind of classified like A to whatever, right? The lowest grade in the slums of whatever. And that's usually a D or an F, E or F. And so I'd say these are C plus to B minus properties, even B plus properties.
0: How do you feel like it's going with Managing from afar, because you're not in the backyard, you're not driving by, if the AC or the heat in this case breaks, you've got to deploy a property manager or something of that.
1: Yeah, so we uh, then use third party property management. Um so we only had the four and then two more, so that would be eight total units. It really didn't make sense to self manage. And by the way,
0: they're cash flowing at nearly a hundred percent at this point. Not really well, yeah.
1: We'll we'll find out. So so I refi those immediately. Okay. So So they're not cash flowing a hundred percent anymore. So but you asked about management, so we'll talk about that real briefly. And my
0: ADHD kicks in hard, so (laughs) keep me on track. We're doing good. Let's go to the management.
1: So we use third party management, and I'm a Big people process technology person. Okay. So, you know, one is if you ever want to self-manage, you're just, in my opinion, asking for short and long-term headache.
0: Yeah. I'm not a fan of personal management. Yeah. Personally. We have a management company within Homevest and we refer to it heavily.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we we went third party management right away. Absolutely yeah. right away. It, it was for us. It we wanted to treat it as a business, not a hobby. Correct. And so we're a big believer on that. So we use that but after we set up all those processes and found the right property management company that we felt comfortable with we we were going to decide to scale and part of that scaling was you know i mentioned this rocket mortgage whoever the big commercial lender was well we've decided let's let's find the credit unions let's find those local banks and let's find the best lending terms we can so what we found was that we found a lender that could essentially allow us to buy cash and refi that property day one. No seasoning period. So anybody who's listening, a lot of banks require a six-month, a nine-month, a 12-month seasoning period, none, day one. So what I was doing was I'd buy cash. Okay. I'd take that same $150,000, buy cash, turn around, go to the bank, load their lips before I even closed, give them all the paperwork, and uh, i tap the table for anyone who's listening. And I'm probably going to get yelled at. Uh, Just a little bit. uh, And what we did was we because I knew I bought it at 25 to, you know, maybe even you had the equity odds. there. We had the equity. So right. we got all our money back. Right. And then we would go do it again. Right. And we'd go do it again. So our first year goal, again, we all have goals, right? I'm sure if I looked around the office here, you guys have goals written on the wall somewhere.
0: They are right? everywhere.
1: So our goal was 10 units. That was it. 10 In the units, first year. First year. That did,
0: seems pretty aggressive.
1: We did 50. Oh, that yeah, seems very so aggressive. Because of this rinse and velocity of money, which I'm a huge proponent of understanding and implementing, and so, you know, then we're like, okay, well, how do we go faster? Right. Okay. Cause eventually you're like, you know, let's scale. And so we tapped into a 401k loan for anybody who's never tapped into that. That is one of the best resources in my opinion.
0: Just want to add, you need to pay your taxes if you take a loan out on it, or actually, you know what? I'm not going to add any of that. Talk to your CPA.
1: Yes. hundred yes. percent. But generally what it is, is your 401k is loaning Ross MacArthur money. Right. And you pay your 401k back. Right. And so most of us, especially in a lot of our age groups, right, aren't quite ready to tap into that anyway. So it's sitting out there and you can leverage. And so we did that. My wife and I did.
0: So funny story. It wasn't so funny like, haha, we did similarly, but we took a hardship withdrawal to buy a primary. And when we did that, I didn't even think about the tax implication and it nailed us pretty hard. But Since learning that there's obviously ways to avoid that and not have the tax implication and then put that money to use for you, you know, so it is a good alternative. And we talk about it with our clients regularly. Um, From my experience, though, we do have that conversation about a hardship withdrawal and what the tax implication is and make sure that you are claiming that money and filing. Yeah, so there's a hardship and
1: then there's just a loan. So there are different two. So anybody who's listening, you can Google and learn all about that. We're not going to educate you here, like you said, a CPA conversation. But so we got to 50 and then our, our year two goal was 50, but we we really started implementing this money. And so we were able to get to 150 rental units in less than a, two years. Wow. So we scaled wow. very, very quickly, which was, you know, there sounds like a lot, but that's about $7 million of real estate. What do you
0: think your occupancy rate is at, at the 150 unit? Because now we've grown even more than that, yep. correct? So at the 150, now, you're no longer in corporate America. You're just with the 150 units. What's your vacancy? Because that seems scary, too, especially when you're leveraging near max debt on these assets, which means you're paying a mortgage on these, so you yes. need the rent to come in. And I'm kind of breaking it down for the layperson that might be listening. So what is your occupancy rate and what is your vacancy rate? Because you don't want to be vacant. For too long, because now you're coming out of pocket for some of these. Yep. Expenses. And
1: that small multifamily category, we were probably averaged around eight percent, which is a little bit higher than we'd like to see industry average. But some of that is you're buying these, let's just call mom and pop uh, rentals, and you're okay. putting some work into them, right? So maybe you're evicting somebody, you're putting yeah. some work into them, you're what we call stabilizing them, right? Right. So we're a little bit higher than. So I think the the other thing is I'm still doing this while I'm at corporate America.
0: Oh, I have not left. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So what's
1: really crazy. And that's why, you know, a lot of people want to talk to us about investing or diversification. They're like, I want to quit my job. Like that wasn't my goal.
0: Yeah. I did not quit. I, this was going for probably two years before I quit. And I was making well into the six figure range just by doing real estate prior to leaving corporate America and saying, Let's go. Yeah. So I, I I mean I burned it at both ends and had three small babies, So it can be yeah. done. It's just hard.
1: It's hard. I, w- I just say like don't do it till you're ready, right? Until you're 100% yeah. ready and you're never 100% ready. Yeah. Uh so we we did that but in the midst of all this uh, when I was doing this direct to seller stuff, we were finding single families. So I mentioned that we really started in small multi-family, but we started finding these single families and they were again, Midwest kind of dilapidated houses. Like some of the stuff we're buying for like 22000 20, which is unheard of, right? Right. Like that's a car, like, right. you know, in a lot of ways. So, uh, I but I'd pass on them or I would, uh, what's called wholesaling. It's a different yeah. conversation for a different day too. But essentially I would then resell that property to somebody else. And so at that moment in time, I was like, well, I'm passing a business here. Like people flip houses. Like I'm as smart as these people. Like I can right. figure this out. And so I convinced Kate again. I'm not convincing of Kate. Uh, convincing Kate again that let let's try a flip a house. And I said this entire two year process of buying these rentals. I said I'd never flip a house. Okay. So we did one. Got taken advantage of a little bit, but we made
0: you know we made good money. You know okay. we made
1: we. You, know, you, you
0: bought know. it for twenty two thousand. So
1: that one, that our very first flip is we bought it for uh thirty five. Okay. We put forty five into it. Wow. And we sold it for 125. Okay. Okay. So yep, minus 10% of realtor fees and holding right. costs, we did pretty good. You yeah. know what I mean? So and
0: how long did you have the asset? Uh,
1: 90 days or less.
0: Okay, so that's pretty good rate of return on a 90-day hold.
1: Yeah, you can't beat it, right? right. And so we're. I like, don't think
0: you're getting that in your bank account. No,
1: correct. No, no. I mean that's a you know that's a three x your money essentially. So but we did so we did one, and then I was like, well we have another one. Let's try this again. She's like, are you? for punishment like this sounds awful like that was a horrible experience I said it was horrible because
0: my husband would be best yes
1: it's horrible because people right people make your business hard my business hard everyone's business hard like when they're awesome they're awesome and you love them and where they're not a good fit you want to murder them let's just be honest and so I fired that crew who also tried to eventually steal from us but I fired that crew and I landed on another crew finally and that crew now does about 25 flips for us a year
0: Okay. So we've
1: scaled that business. So we kind of had the small multifamily going and the flips, flips, but still working corporate America at this point.
0: So can we circle back to that? You have a crew working for you out of state and you're scaling the business and they're stealing from you. That's real life. I mean, I have it here last week and I'm with my finger on the pulse and I had it here. So how do you manage that and mitigate the risk so that you know that this is going on and how can you cut the bleeding before it tanks you.
1: Yeah. So the first one was a uh, Midwest again. So what do Midwest people are? They're trusting and, yeah. and generally trusting people. And so I was naive if, for lack of a better world. Hindsight's 2020. 20, uh, and I learned a lot. Uh, so one of the things was, I just trusted that certain things were getting done at milestones mm-hmm. before I'd send money, you know? And so now I Fast forward, a lot of mistakes then. Now it's it's on a draw schedule. So the every project is quoted up front. So right. here's exactly what we're doing. Here's your all-in cost. It's roughly going to take us six or eight weeks or whatever the time frame right. is from start to finish. And then there's a draw schedule. So okay. generally broken down three or four draws per project.
0: Now, are you flying up there?
1: No. So that goes to phase two of that. So that's kind of upfront. So then phase two is I partner with a local realtor and broker uh, and she sells all of our houses and she goes and checks on them routinely, generally once a week for me. Also, the contractor sends me weekly pictures and updates of what has been happening at the house along with videos. So none of that... done up front. Gosh. And so is it the guy who stole from me's fault or my fault? It's well, probably, it's I mean, yours, both. But, but it's
0: yeah. And, and but that as a society, we are a reactive society, not a proactive society. Couldn't so like that, it just is part of our DNA. Right. Yep. So, but ultimately it's up to us. So now fast forward, where are you at today yep. with your investing and are you still in corporate America? Cause we haven't gotten to that. So yeah. have you left corporate America?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, how we got there. Uh, so I left in, uh, let's see, March of 23. So I'm just over oh. nine months now, wow. uh, not in corporate America. And so you mentioned burning the candle on both ends is eventually what happened. Yeah, And so me and a good buddy of mine, who's a neighbor, Stan Remling, we in 2022 said, Hey, like we're both kind of doing similar things because he works for Disney and buying some real estate in the same areas we were as buddies. And so I was like, how do we, again, we're buying like duplexes and fourplexes and they're like, okay, but like, how do we go big? Right. Like 20, 50, hundred unit properties. How do you scale? Yeah. How do you scale? And and so I was like, well, let's just start a company that focuses on that. Duh. Simple. Sounds so easy. And so we we did, and that that idea was born in early 2022. But it took time to find like what type of assets, what type right. of lenders, uh, insurance brokers that specialize in that, um, real estate brokers who for acquisitions, because most right. of those aren't off market. Most of those hit the market, right? But you can find them, you know, before they actually hit the market through the broker. And so we we decided like, all right, let's do this. Well, and then in September 2023, we bought our first prop, or 2022, we bought our first. Prop. Okay. And since then, we bought about 700 units and wow. about $45 million of real estate. So as that was starting to ramp up, it was time to finally leave corporate America.
0: Yeah, but I think the average person might feel that that's incredibly overwhelming at it is you know I I feel like that's a lot like I know that I'm a little type a and a high d very driver yes so I can handle a lot but even last night literally I was sowing seeds in my kitchen for the garden and my husband looked at me and said do you never want to do like do you just always want to do something and I was like listen we're just gonna have a garden he was like and this and this and this and I was like what are we doing right now we're just like staring at the tv like what are we doing and he was like oh how dare we stare at the tv so I think this dynamic's
1: got to be awesome. You have uh, a dynamic like me and my wife.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> the funny thing is, he's in radio. So he's got a very big personality. Yeah. But when he's off, he's kind of shut down because he's so on. So, um, But it's just funny because I think the average person with everything that you just said and how many doors are you today?
1: We're about 700.
0: 700. That's I thought that's what you said, but I just wanted to make sure. So 700 doors. And you just really came out of corporate America. Like, that's a big deal. Do you have kids?
1: I do. I got an eight, well, soon to be nine in in a few months, and then a five-year-old.
0: Okay. So, again, this kind of goes back to generational wealth and building that foundation for your family, and that's where kind of my business concept came in, was to build something that could be passed down for generations to come so that they have a foundation. So, where do you see yourself in a year from now?
1: Yeah. Well that's a, that is such a hard question because if you asked me where I ended in twenty twenty three, I would have never Predicted that, so it's tough to add. So one of the things is uh, are the. Comp- well, I was
0: gonna say five or ten, but at the rate you're going, that's yeah, why I was like too
1: oh, far. We're gonna
0: scale it down to one.
1: So one of the things when I mentioned the company that Stan and I formed, it originally was just gonna be for Stan and I. It was not for any other investors. But we had so many people, corporate America, and family and friends that wanted to diversify. But again, they don't want to be active investors. And you mentioned type A and being a driver, mm-hmm. like that's being active. Like, right. That, that's not a passive type of personality. And so I'm that way too, right? Uh, But a lot of our friends, they just don't have the time for it. So we had enough conversation with people about getting started in real estate. We decided to make that a group investing company.
0: Okay. And let's break that down because we do work with other group investing companies, but I don't think we've actually touched on that on a podcast. So let's break down what a group investing company is for The average listener.
1: So we won't get into like all the SEC regulations because there's different categories and sure. stuff like that. But to keep it basic is you're pooling a group of money together yep. to buy an asset that one individual cannot buy probably by themselves.
0: So humor me. If I said today I have $1,000 and I do mean a 1000 could I participate in that?
1: Generally, no. Okay. Not, not, with us at least. I okay. mean, there might be some crowdfunding thing that accepts a thousand dollars. So,
0: what is a, a entry level for
1: you? Yep, yeah, for us personally, it's fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. But every group investing company has different guidelines. A good buddy of ours, his is a hundred. Another buddy of ours, his is twenty-five. The reason why we set it at fifty is it weeds out a lot of people. Sure. And oh, I
0: get it. I wouldn't want four hundred people at a thousand personally, yeah. but I think that. Oh, your average American might have a thousand. So there could be other places for them. But then if you are in that 25,000 or if you are in that 50,000, and if you are tapping into those resources that you already have, like your 401k, chances are you do have that. Yep. And it could be working for you a little bit more aggressively than maybe what it's currently doing in the stocks.
1: Yeah. And uh, so I mentioned 401k earlier. There's a real reason why we made it 52, not 40 or 35 is because. F- 50,000 is the limit that you can do on a loan through your 401k. There you go. So those that's why those two work together. Yep. So.
0: Perfect. So you're getting a lot of investors that can take 50,000 and then you guys can buy with all of that money. So go a little bit, bit further into sure. what that looks like.
1: Yeah. So every company set up different. Again, it's an entrepreneurship venture. So you run your business one way, somebody else can run differently. Right. But generally, we sell a certain amount of what's called limited stocks or limited partnerships or LPs. And so they own actual pieces of the real estate, just like we do, right? So there's general partners, which is Stan and I, generally speaking, and we are the operators of the business active, and then the LPs are the passive ones. And so it ranges, every deal is different. So a 100 unit deals, they're going to have less equity percentage than, for 50 grand than maybe a 25 unit deal.
0: What's some of the risk
1: like anything, stock market, you know, great example, like could go through the roof tomorrow, you could lose all your money. So let's, or you could lose all your money. Yeah. Well, I mean, focus
0: on that. Yeah. But but, the reality is it is real. But what kind of transparency do you offer so that, you know, let's say at the end of this conversation, I stroke you a check for 50,000. Then, you know, in three months I say, Hey, I want a financial, like, what do I get?
1: That's so great cause upfront, you get a full offering deck, which, you know, really outlays everything with the property. So what the property is current financials, what pro forma quote unquote is, or what we think it could do. What's our strategy for the property, all these different things, 20 page documents. So that's upfront to set the expectations. Then going forward, there's an investor portal. So everyone gets a username and password. Oh,
0: and being in the tech industry, I imagine it's pretty... Savvy. Yes. Pretty easy. Log in
1: and it literally shows everything you'd ever want to know. Love that. And then every month they get an update on the property. They get vacancy. They get rent renewals. They get it's pretty hands off. Yes. You get everything. And then every month you get financials, full Excel file financials from our CFO. I'm personally not getting that from my 401k. Just so I, (laughs) you know, I'm not getting monthly reports on it. If
0: I want to see it, I need to log in and look at it. And 401k is back from corporate America, but neither here nor
1: there. And we didn't start that way, right? We didn't have that when we first, our first property, but we learned very quickly, like transparency is everything when you invest.
0: Especially when you're talking about people's money. It's a big deal. People want to know what their money's doing and how it's doing. Now, for us, it's funny because when our money is sitting in a 401k at Vanguard or what have you, there's such large companies that we're not checking it every day, but as a smaller group, people are probably going to want that hand holding a little bit more and having that access to seeing what their money is doing. So yep. let's say you do the 50000 you get in, you do a house, and then you want to cash out because you're just happy and rich all of a sudden. What does that look
1: like? Uh, I wish I was just happy being rich yeah, too. I know. Uh, so every we don't allow people to cash out immediately. Right. Because if not, that's really hard to manage if you're running a business. So we generally do at least two years in and then they can sell their shares for active prices, whole process operating agreement that spells all that out. But our goal on each property, it's a little bit different, is generally get it renovated, get it up to speed, three to five years hold, refinance, return some capital, and then it's cash flowing for life till the sale at sale. Everyone gets the sale proceeds just like you would expect. So it's about as hands off if you want to get in big commercial real estate as possible.
0: Florida. Now you've invested in the Midwest. You've been uber successful, like the Uber lights. Sorry, guys. Um, but what are the plans for Florida real estate investing?
1: Yeah. So we we love central Florida. Obviously, we live in Claremont. So we've lived there for you know 12 years now. And we've just watched this boom, right? Yeah. Literally in yes. front of our eyes, boom. And it's one of the hottest places to live in all of Florida. Right, and so we keep our eye on the market very, very closely. And so our goal is to eventually roll some of this capital that we have into assets down here. Okay. Uh, so you have to get—it's a, you know, a snowball effect, right? So as your investments grow, you have more capital, and you can disperse that capital maybe in nicer assets, nicer parts of the area, the geographical—you know, United States, Florida. I would say is a tier one or A plus market in general. Right. And so we're, we're keeping our eye on it very, very closely. There's They're starting to get some deals to be had. You know, you just got to work a little harder for it.
0: Right. And what do you think about working with like a local broker that's doing a bulk of the business? Because you obviously have a good relationship with your agent up there in the Midwest, and she should be bringing you some deals, whether they're off market or about to hit the market or what have you.
1: Acquisitions, broker, you know, whether commercial side or residential yeah. side does not matter. I think that's the crux of your acquisition strategy, whether you go direct to the consumer or not, you still need that partner. They're gonna get deals that they're gonna you're never gonna see. Right. Period. And so they're right. gonna be able to bring you opportunities that you're not gonna get. So, you know, for me, like, you know, you'd think, oh, well, maybe if Ross is local, he's just gonna do it himself. No, opposite. What investing in distance has taught me is just surround yourself with the right people, like right. we talked about earlier, treat it as a business. And right. so, you know, hey Erica, this is like I'm gonna partner with you on acquisitions for these type of assets, right? Like, why would I want to go do it myself?
0: Right? No, absolutely. So tell me two of your favorite things that you've learned that have been so key to your success.
1: Uh, real estate specifically is the most forgiving type of asset in anything I've ever touched at, you know, investment wise and things like that. The worst case scenario, everything is outable. Like, you can figure it out and come out relatively yeah. on top. And people tell you that, yeah. like, early on, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have some crazy stuff. I've had a house burned down. I've had people commit suicide. I've had yeah. drug overdoses. I've had – you name it. Yeah. I've seen it.
0: We've had those. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's reality. And if you haven't, you haven't been doing it long. Yeah. And that's the truth yeah. because it's going to happen.
0: Absolutely. It's humans. Yeah. Right? And,
1: and it's nasty. And it, But guess what? You get over it. That house that burned down, you know – Guess what? I made twelve thousand dollars on it. Like, okay, that's go. the worst case scenario. House burned down. I got twelve thousand dollars. There you <laughs> go. You know, so that's one definitely. And I think the other one is people with wealth figure out taxation, right? And taxation strategy, right? In real estate, is again, you read the books, you listen to the podcasts, and Everyone says, oh, real estate's the best way to limit your taxation. And as a W-2 employee, you know, early on, I wasn't a real estate professional and I was getting some of the tax benefits, but then I became a real estate professional and I had all this depreciation. I literally paid zero taxes, which is huge. Yeah. So again, consult your CPA. Uh, But I mean, literally like people write about that and I was like, that's not real. We got a check back last year for hundred percent of what we paid in taxes, federal tax. And my wife goes, "Did we just steal money? Like this can't be legal." And our CPA is like, "No, it's very much legal. Just smart people do it, not dumb people." Right. And I was like, "Oh, okay." So it was like well, those two and things that's I've kind learned. Of
0: where that saying, "The rich get richer and the yep. poor," you know, it, it, these things come from somewhere, yep. right? So it's just knowing tax codes and aligning yourself with the right people. 100%. Because I'd rather be a master of one than a jack of uh, a jack of one or a master. What's the saying?
1: Jack of all trades master of none.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'd rather be a master of one than a jack of all trades. So, um, definitely leaning on your CPA or, a, an investment group such as yourself. So tell me two things that you have just not enjoyed.
1: Well, it's the people.
0: Yep. It's, <laughs> it's the, people. the people.
1: Uh, it's, uh, it's also the thing that makes you probably the most money. It's the thing that frustrates you and wants you to run through a plate. glass Uh, so people are really hard and, uh, you know, emotions and theft and, um, yeah, dishonesty and all that. Just there's just a million things people aren't like you. And it, I think it jades you a little bit over right. the years. So it I does. think that would probably be the number one thing is, is just the people. And I, I think the other part of it is, and I don't deal with it on purpose. Uh, you know, since all this growth, we've started our own property management company. Right. I don't like dealing with tenants. And so I hate it. Actually, I don't. So I, they don't. No no one knows who I am. I right. am a ghost.
0: Right. <laughs> and that's nice though because I know this may sound very insensitive, but if you are that frontline defense when somebody does have cancer or when somebody does lose their job or when somebody does whatever fill in the blank, then it's this emotional pool and really, it's it's a business at this point. And if you didn't pay your rent at the big apartment complex or what have you, what do you think would happen? So kind of the idea of being that silent investor is more so I know my husband's MO, but like me, I like being in the front lines. I like doing all the things. But there does become a time where it's like, hey, we've got to put some barricades in between here because it does get taxing and not like the government taxing it gets taxing on my soul where it's hard so what's your one bit of advice if you could tell anybody anything on how to get started
1: well one is I mean re-read re listen to your podcast listen to other investing podcasts I mean that's that's first and foremost some like-
0: of your favorite podcasts are
1: so, I like Axel Ragnarsson a okay. lot. Uh, for those, his is the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. Okay. Uh, He's just very tactical. Like, okay. so for people who don't like that, they might get a little turned off, but it's like things that you would use. Okay. Yeah. So, I think that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, I'll stick with just his for right now because I think that's probably the best one. Of course, there's bigger pockets and, yeah. well, you know, and all bigger those. Bigger
0: pockets just even has a Facebook group, which I find if you're just perusing that Facebook group, it's really helpful, especially yeah. for an entry level investor. It just makes you think about what wealth is and what rich is. And yeah. while they're not the same, people perceive them as the same, but oftentimes wealth is built. Um, silently and you see like money and flashy kind of like you see that and that's really not what wealth is. No. So it's just different things that have made me think differently over the years as we've gone through real estate and as I've had my children and, and then we've gone through family things where I'm like, huh, this is what I don't want to do yeah. or this is what I want to do. So Ross, tell everybody where they can find you so that if they want to participate in your joint venture, they can.
1: So I'm awful on social media. I always joke about that every podcast I do. So uh, don't find me on a lot of that. But where you do want to find me is on LinkedIn. So I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. I just think it's a great educational platform. So you'll find me heavily on that. And for our company, uh, Follow the Deal Investments, you can find us at followthedeal.com.
0: Perfect. And we'll include that link below. And if you are interested in investing in Florida or really anywhere else, reach out to us. We can connect you across the country with agents or investors, or we can help you here in our backyard. Ross, thank you so much for joining us on Foundation and Family. And make sure you subscribe and like our channel. Until next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.